When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, season previews continue and wrap up right here. Uh, We have completed 14 ACC team previews, which in most years would mean we're done. In this year, it means we're not done. We've got one more to go. Are you ready to go? I am because I like this team a lot, Joey. Yes, you do. This is this is your like traditional uh, raised in fandom, is it not? It, it is. This is your Louisville. This is my Louisville. Yeah, for for the uh, the real OGs of this podcast who will remember the really early days, the way that we used to introduce this thing was, my name is Joey Weaver and I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. We are going to talk about Mike, your Notre Dame Fighting Irish tonight as they are truthfully and, and officially members of the ACC if for like 10 games only. Well, I mean, better late than ever. I mean, how do you feel about this? Does this, you know, from both a Notre Dame and an ACC perspective, I mean, is this a thing that you could see being a test run for a formal joining? Or is this purely just a Notre Dame trying to have some survivability for this year? Like, where where do you fall on all this? somewhere in the it's somewhere in the middle like where i where i fall on is like i don't care what they do like if they want to be independent that's fine i don't really you know people who hate notre dame get like all hung up on oh they're independent they're better than they think they're better than everybody yada 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 i mean that's fine but like them being independent makes it harder for them to get to where they want to go (laughs) right so you can you can say that but then in the same breath you also have to mention the fact that like them not having a conference championship to play in makes it more difficult for them to get to the college football playoff and win national championships, which is what Notre Dame's donors and boosters, et cetera. That's what they want Notre Dame to be because Notre Dame won tons of championships, right? In in the, in the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties and way before that. And Notre Dame was a powerhouse in college football for a long, long time. Um, then they had a lull for, you know, they, they haven't won a national championship in over 30 years, number one, but they also had a lull there for about a 20 year period where they just really weren't that good. Like they had a year here and there where they were competitive, but really the Brian Kelly era is where things started ramping back up and Notre Dame became relevant again in the college football mm-hmm. landscape. Notre Dame's always relevant, but I'm talking like relevant enough that we're talking about them in the same breath as the college football playoff and playing in big time bowl games it had been a while since they were able to do that. So all that to say that being in a conference, I think would help Notre Dame get to where they want to go. Um, especially when you're in a conference with Clemson, if you're able to beat Clemson in a conference championship game, you probably feel pretty good about your chances and playing well in a playoff. So it's a good measuring stick from that standpoint for the ACC. But as far as Notre Dame's concerned, they try to keep their independence because they have the, Television contract with NBC, and I think from that standpoint, this year with the stopgap, with you know most conferences either not playing or only playing conference games, you know Notre Dame really needed to pivot, and the ACC was able to take them in, and Notre Dame sharing their TV money, so it's a win for all involved. Um, but a lot of people are really, really irritated by it, Joey. Mm-hmm. I, well, you know, you mentioned they they won a number of national titles years and years ago, but it really kind of not been super close in that scene. I don't know if you remember, Mike, but even since Brian Kelly took over, uh, Notre Dame did play for a national championship. (laughs) Um, I remember it wasn't the the most pleasant thing for Notre Dame fans. We'll say that, but they were there. It happened. They played for it. It happened. They participated in one. They were only 60 minutes away, Mike. That's all they were. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, some would say they're light years away. They actually have had um, better teams since then that have not even made the playoff, in my opinion. So that's how far the program has come since losing that national championship in 2012. That's probably very true. Um, yeah. That's another discussion for another day. Um, I I will say it's interesting hearing the kind of the perspective that, you know, it is it is better for Notre Dame to be in this conference and to, to join it while also thinking, you know, and knowing that there's a lot of opinion that the ACC really should have used this opportunity to kind of leverage or, or strong arm Notre Dame into fully joining full time. Because, you know, it doesn't, you know, two plus two equal four. Like if it's better for Notre Dame and it's better for the ACC, it would happen, right? But clearly, and, and especially thinking that it's Notre Dame in particular kind of holds the power, I think, more than anything. There's clearly some thought within that athletic department that says that there is a lot of value to keeping the football team independent. And truthfully, it probably has a lot to do with the teams that continue to get regularly scheduled. I mean, again, they're playing annual matchups against Michigan and Stanford and Navy. And I mean, they've, they've got USC. More, USC. Yeah, you've got more standing like annual rivalry games than your four out of conference games in the ACC would allow for. So there's, there's that. And you do this whole stadium tour and you've got your own TV network. Like there's, there's clearly some aspects of that non-conference deal that do benefit Notre Dame that at least on some level, the eight, the athletic department thinks that that's worth retaining and we'll play the rest of our sports in the ACC, but this one, we're going to stay independent. So I don't know that there's a lot of reason to think that's going to change anything anytime particularly soon, especially if the ACC passed on this opportunity to try to try to force something. Agree. And as long as the television contract with NBC continues funding the entire athletic department for Notre Dame, they're going to remain independent. That's just the way it's going to be. And who could blame them? Right. It's all about money. So. Mike, Brian Kelly enters year 12 in South Bend. And that's that's kind of hard to believe. Like, I feel like it's gone quick. And it, it feels like he's like one of the newer – you know, I don't feel like he's been there forever. And yet you look back at the Wikipedia page and he has been there forever. Um, it's it, it's It's been a, a tenure that I think there's been a lot of like weird – it's like almost like weirdly tumultuous. Like there's been multiple occasions where people have like wanted to call for his head and get rid of him and all this stuff. And yet if you look back on it, the last five seasons, there was that one four and eight year. And then the other four have all been top 12 finishes. Like at this point, this program is kind of becoming a, a pinnacle of pretty high end consistency. And they're, they're, they haven't really been able to, break through a, a quote-unquote glass ceiling here, but I mean, this program has been pretty consistently excellent. I think they, uh, aside, again, aside from that four and eight year, the other four years, they've lost a combined nine games. Yeah, I mean, they've been they've been really good. A lot of people like to poke fun at the four and eight year for Notre Dame because it's like, how could mm-hmm. you recruit that well and they go four and eight? Um, but then you look at what Notre Dame did after that with kind of cleaning house with some of their assistants and kind of just changing the culture there. That's exactly what Brian Kelly did. And since that four and eight year in 2016, like you mentioned, Joey, Notre Dame's gone 10 and three, 12 and one and 11 and two. Like those have been the three years uh, since going four and eight. The year before they went four and eight, Notre Dame went 10 and three um, and lost in the Fiesta Bowl. So that gives you an idea of how consistent this program has been that four and eight year, definitely the aberration. You mentioned the national championship game appearance in 2012, like Notre Dame has been consistently a really good team. I think their challenge has been trying to take the step from really good to elite, which in today's college football, um, college football landscape is very hard to do. There's really only, and we've talked about it on this podcast. Clemson is one team. Ohio State's another, there's Alabama, and there's a handful of others who have the talent to reach the elite status. And then there's a ton of teams who are really good with the chance to challenge for elite status. And Notre Dame is in that really good group with a chance to challenge for elite status. Like mm-hmm. they recruit well enough to have starters 
who can go toe to toe with the best teams in college football. What they don't have is the depth across the 22 guys on offense and defense total who can step in. And when somebody gets hurt, you're just going to fill them, fill in with another four or five star guy. Like Notre Dame doesn't have that. And, and not a lot of teams have that. And that's generally where we see the drop off. Joey, you remember a couple of years ago, Notre Dame was playing uh, against Clemson in the playoff. Um, and Julian Love left the game. You'll remember Notre Dame was struggling offensively, but Julian Love left the game um, at cornerback for Notre Dame. And Trevor Lawrence, as a true freshman, saw that matchup and feasted on it. And that's how Clemson kind of pulled away. Notre Dame had to change everything that they were doing defensively because with Julian Love in the game, Notre Dame can lock things down, right? Man-to-man defense, mm-hmm. you can play cover one. You're real comfortable doing that. You can try to get after a freshman quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. With Julian mm-hmm. Love out of the game, Notre Dame could no longer do that. And that's mm-hmm. the challenge that, that's faced Brian Kelly. And the question you asked me before we hit record is, is there any um, is there any angst out of South Bend regarding Brian Kelly and like whether or not he could be on the hot seat at some point, et cetera? The answer to that is no. Um, he's he's done too well. He had that aberration four and eight year, but Notre Dame's last three years are the most successful years they've had in probably the last 20 seasons. And that that includes the 2012 season when they were really good and undefeated and they got blown out by Alabama. I think these are the three best teams Notre Dame's had in a really long time. And a lot of the reason for that is because Brian Kelly is improving his recruiting. And Notre Dame all of a sudden is pulling in a couple more four and five stars a year than they were before. Notre Dame Mm -hmm. has always recruited well under Brian Kelly, but they haven't been recruiting at an elite level under Brian Kelly. Now they're starting to scratch the surface there a bit more than they have in the past. And you're starting to see the results on the field because of that. So all in all, like Brian Kelly's tenure at Notre Dame, and I'm willing to say this as a lifelong fan of Notre Dame, I think if Brian Kelly were to win a national championship at some point, I think he would be the best coach in school history, which is saying a lot with Lou Holtz and Eric Parsegian, Dan Devine, et cetera. There've been a lot Mm -hmm. of really outstanding coaches at Notre Dame. Um, But Brian Kelly, I think being able to win a national championship now is harder than it ever has been, especially Mm -hmm. at Notre Dame, um, given how schools recruit now and what he's been able to do on the field with the talent that he's had so far, I think speaks for itself. He's going to be one of the winningest coaches in school history by the time he's done, whenever he's done. Um, but if he's ever able to win a national championship, I think that would, that would secure it uh, for Brian Kelly. Mike, the only other thing I wanted to follow up on, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on again, as a Notre Dame fan, I don't mean to turn this into an interview, but again, you follow this program a lot closer than I do. And so I, I yeah. I'm curious to hear some of the thought processes. You just told me that, this three-year run has been one of the, the most successful three-year runs that we've had at Notre Dame in decades, right? I mean, it, it's been really, really good. And what's interesting is that over that three-year run, the offensive coordinator has been Chip Long the whole time. And now at the end of this three-year run, Chip Long gets fired. And I, and I realized that a lot of times last year, if you're looking at games that Notre Dame was losing – and I say a lot of times the two games that Notre Dame lost at Georgia and at Michigan at Georgia was a fairly close game against a really good defense, but at Michigan it was a, a total blowout in, in the big house. I mean, in those games, you can kind of point to the offense as really leaving something to be desired. Um, so I, I guess I get it from that aspect, but man, I mean, it's not like this offense was having a lot of problems in most of the other games they were playing. Like, why are you ditching your offensive coordinator after three decidedly successful years? Yeah, I think um, a couple things, right? So, like, number one, um, Chip Long, the last couple of off seasons, has interviewed elsewhere. So this <laughs> this is one of those situations. Like, he was rumored at Alabama for a while. Like, there there have been opportunities for Chip Long to leave Notre Dame, and he elected to stay, right? There's also so that that's one element of it where Chip Long's kind of been looking around and knowing that he wasn't going to have kind of a long shelf life uh, coaching with Brian Kelly. But the other side of it too is that Notre Dame's offense and the offenses they've had have been really good running the football. They've lacked the explosive element in the passing game in recent years. Um, you think back to. And this is before the four and eight season. You'll think back to like when Notre Dame had Deshaun Kaiser, 
Um, they had Deshaun Kaiser in the four and eight year, but Deshaun Kaiser and like Will Fuller, for, for example, right? Like having Will Fuller to take the top off of a defense is a game breaking element that Notre Dame had that they don't have right now. Braden Lindsay is, is a guy that Notre Dame's going to look to um, to kind of be that guy because of how electric he is. But Notre Dame's been lacking the explosiveness in the passing game the last few years. And that's been a reason why kind of their ceiling's been capped. They've been really, really good. But then you play an elite defense like Georgia or you play a really good defense in Michigan. And all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to score when you're not running the ball quite as well as you normally do. And then you don't have the explosive element in the passing game. Some of that's on the receiving core. Some of that's on Ian Book, right? So look, Brian Kelly, after the four and eight season, he basically had a total overhaul, both offensive coaching staff, defensive coaching staff, brought in new assistants. He's always trying to tweak this thing and continue to improve. And for Notre Dame to try to find that elite level um, as a program, I think moving on from Chip Long is something that Brian Kelly looked at and said, you know what? we can reach a different level offensively than we've reached the last three years. And maybe that mm-hmm. means get, having a new offensive coordinator. The interesting part of this is that Tommy Reese, um, and, and he goes by Tom Reese too now, which is a little odd. He was Tommy Reese, the quarterback under Brian Kelly. And now he's not only the quarterback's coach, but he's going to be the offensive coordinator now, taking over for Chip Long. Doesn't have any prefer, experience as the offensive coordinator. I prefer Tomas, actually. Oh, to, Toma, Tomas Reese. That's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he took uh, a couple <laughs> Spanish classes in college. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So he, I, I just don't know. It's an interesting uh, move to make. If they were going to move on from Chip Long, to then promote Tommy Reese from within and having him become the offensive coordinator with no experience as a coordinator is very interesting. But we also know that Brian Kelly has a history of calling plays, and that could be an element of this too. Um, so there's a couple different elements at play here, but it'll be really interesting. It's it's one of the big questions, quite frankly, that Notre Dame has going into this season is what they're going to do with offensive coordinator and how that's going to pan out now that Chip Long's no longer in the fold. Let's talk about this team in particular this year. And they bring back Ian Book for what feels like, you know, his ninth or tenth year of eligibility. It's actually only been like two and a half years or something that he's been the starter, but it feels like it's been forever. Um Ian Book is a guy that I noticed years ago when I first kind of saw him come into a game a couple times, and I was like, I like this guy. This is a guy that was showing some some improvement, I think, over what I had been seeing from quarterbacks before him. And in retrospect, kind of having seen him since then, I think what I was seeing was a general level of consistency. You know, you, you would see from guys like Deshaun Kaiser or Everett Golson or some of these guys that – they could have a ridiculous game and just take a game over and win it. They could also just completely look lost out there for quarters and games at a time. Ian Book doesn't do that. Ian Ian Book is going to be a consistent level of good at, at the very least. Like you're, you're going to get something from him. But at the same time, as we kind of talked about before we started recording, is that Ian, Ian Book is only ever so good. Like his, he's a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. He's consistent. He's like a really good game manager. Um, he's not going to make a lot of mistakes in this, but he's also not going to make a lot of remarkable plays. And and there's there's value to that, but it also seems like it kind of just limits your ceiling as an offense as well. Yeah, like Everett Golson and Deshaun Kaiser were like huge arm like high ceiling, but also like low floor. Like we saw when both of those guys were bad and when they were bad, they were real bad, right? Everett Golson's mm-hmm. came in the national championship. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser came several times in the four and eight season. Like we've seen it when it's real bad. Some of it's their fault. Some of it's not. Um, but you don't have that floor, that really low floor with Ian book. Like, it's consistently high floor, but you don't have as high of a ceiling either because he doesn't have the arm that Everett Golson has, that Deshaun Kaiser has. Um, but Ian Book won the starting job over Brandon Wimbush a couple of years back. Brandon Wimbush was having trouble completing 50% of his passes, but he was a more explosive athlete in the running game. Um, so you sacrifice that a little bit by playing behind a really experienced offensive line and having a really strong running game, which Notre Dame has had consistently, but didn't really have a year ago. Um, and, and that's a question coming into this year too. It's like, okay, you can play Ian book at quarterback 
have him be the pseudo game manager, high floor guy, completes a high percentage of his passes, doesn't turn the ball over a ton. That's all well and good if you're one of the best teams in the country running the football like Notre Dame was. They were not that a year ago, which is why when they played Georgia and when they when they found themselves getting blown out at the big house, when it was absolute downpour rain, they couldn't really throw the ball because they were playing in a monsoon. They also couldn't really run the ball because Michigan's defense was a really good, but B Notre Dame's running game was not as good as it's been in recent years. So like there's a give and take when you play a guy like Ian book at quarterback, Ian books really good, but he can only be so good. Like you mentioned, I think it's a big element of it is how well they're going to be able to run the ball this year, because I think it's going to dictate just how good the offense is. Yeah. And it's just jumping straight from there into kind of the, the skill positions here. Ian book finds himself in an interesting spot coming into this year because he loses his leading rusher in Tony Jones Jr. from a year ago. He also loses his top three leading receivers in, in Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, and Chris Finke. Like, there was a lot to be replaced there, and you feel like some of that burden of, of trying to you know, steady the ship and keep some consistency there is going to fall on Ian Book. Um, and, and, I mean, Notre Dame has no shortage of talent at, at the skill positions. Like, let's not act like this is a team that we don't really know where it's going to come from. Like, of course we do. But but there is something to be said for having to replace some of that chemistry and some of the, the you know, you, you get guys in a rhythm and guys that just know how to play together. Like, that's something that takes time to fix. And especially in an offseason like this, hard to say exactly how effectively they'll be able to do that coming into this year. Yeah, because like Notre Dame doesn't recruit skill position guys as well as like say Clemson does, where they have like a million five star receivers running all over the place. Um, Almost nobody does. Right. But they do recruit at the level that maybe Miami does at the skill position. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And having the benefit of that is really going to be important this year in particular with no Chase Claypool, no Chris Finke is gone. Cole Komet tight end gone. So. Where does Notre Dame find that production? I mean, it's easy. You look at Lawrence Keyes, um, who's, I mean, this will be by far his biggest role. Everybody's talking about, you know, the potential that he has, but this is kind of the first real prove it year for him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of steps into that lead receiver role. There's Braden Lindsay, who is absolutely electric out of the state of Oregon. He was a four-star receiver. Um, the guy can fly and we've seen that in limited playing time for him, but he'll take on a bigger role. Um, tight ends. I mean, there's <laughs> Notre Dame loves throwing to tight ends, right? They always have Ian book has thrown to his tight ends more than any other Notre Dame quarterback. I can remember in recent memory, they have Brock, Wright, They have Tommy Tremble coming back. Um, Tommy Tremble has recorded some stats for Notre Dame, but it's just like a very, it, it, the unknown of the offense at receiver is I guess the the biggest question mark um, around the team this year. It's like, who is Ian Book going to throw to? But it's more of like whether or not these guys who are highly recruited, highly sought after coming out of high school can can emerge and, and can turn into the players that everybody believed that they could and the reason why they were ranked as, as four-star guys um, coming out of the high school level. Like, can they realize their potential? Because there's a lot of talent in the room, but it's not proven talent. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are wrestling with when it comes to Notre Dame. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's even even for Notre Dame and programs that recruit on this level, recruiting never an exact science. Like it now <laughs> until the guys prove they can do it on the field, you, you gotta have a little bit of, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, from a, right. from a recruiting standpoint. So uh, there's Plenty of reason to think that all oh, this will be great, but let's make sure that they, they can do it on the field before we, you know, really go tooting some horns. But what if it's not, right? Like, but what, I mean, you never know. You never know. Um, the the good news, though, especially as it relates to the run game, but a little bit in terms of pass protection, and that is that the offensive line in front of Ian Book and in their backs is going to be pretty ridiculously experienced for for you know, a, a, a team that had a pretty solid offensive line to begin with and, and recruits this position pretty exceptionally well as compared to anybody else. Not only all of that, but now offensive line, the projected starters, senior, junior, sophomore, senior, senior, 
and you've got three juniors in the second string. So, I mean, there is experience and depth and, and age and maturity and all this just left and right on the offensive line for this team. It is hard to picture, even with an injury or two here or there, it is hard to picture this being any variety of like a, a liability for this team. It's got to be a strength and really one of the best units in the country, we'd have to think. Yeah, one of the best units in the country, certainly one of the best in the ACC at the very least. And there are a lot of good offensive lines in the ACC coming into the season, that's for sure. Um, Notre Dame bringing back four out of the five starters is really, really important. Um, the, the one thing to note is Tommy Kramer, um, who is obviously projected to start on the offensive line um, at right guard, is coming off of a knee injury that he had a year ago. Um you know, had a season-ending knee injury against Michigan. So that's just something to monitor, but he seems to be fully healthy. But but yeah, four out of five starters return on the offensive line. Notre Dame's offensive line, you know, teams joke about being like DBU and wide receiver U. Notre Dame's offensive line consistently sends guys to the pros. Like, if they're not, if they don't have at least one top 10 pick on the offensive line every three or four years, something's gone wrong. Notre Dame always has offensive linemen drafted. Generally, they have one to two elite guys that are drafted um, in the first 10 or 15 picks. They just have a very good unit up front. That should be the case again this year, which should help the running game, Joey, which was not great a year ago. Let's put it that way. It, it had its moments. Um, it, it, it's funny to think that as you talk about, I mean, again, a position that they recruit as well as anybody, that they seem to develop as, as well as anybody, and you see top 10 pick or picks in any given NFL draft coming out of Notre Dame, you know, to, to struggle at times like they did in the run game, you can kind of talk a little bit about, is it is it the line, is it the backs? But, you know, certainly it seems like at least, you know, the, the line should be, should have everything in place to, uh, to be able to provide for a, a successful run game. So um, I, I, I think that that figures to be the strength of, of this team, one of the better units in the country it needs to be. And if it's not, there is no excuse in the way of talent or inexperience or, I, I mean, dare we say injuries. Like it, it, it can happen, especially at the offensive line, but like COVID environment, who knows? Like you, You've still got so much depth at that position, too, that, I mean, I, I, it's like I don't want to hear it. Like, if, if the offensive line is not good, you need a new offensive line coach. Like, that, that's, you know, that's kind of the story to me. Um, speaking of which, Mike, speaking of experience and depth defensively for Notre Dame, this is the thing that has, in the last few years, has also been really just consistently top-notch. Um, and you talk about, I mean, it, it can happen in some years where you get fairly reliant on a single player. Like you mentioned Julian Love in the, in the secondary going out in that playoff game against Clemson, and it completely altered what Notre Dame had to do on defense, just that one guy. And that can happen, especially when you have a, a pretty transcendent player like Julian Love was. But at the same time, once again, let's just run real quickly down this projected starting list for Notre Dame. Senior, junior, senior, senior, senior. Junior, junior, grad transfer, senior, uh, sophomore, junior, junior. So that's 10, uh, 10 upperclassmen projected to start on this defense. That was already a pretty good unit. I, I've been pretty impressed, Mike, truthfully, that um, after losing Mike Elko a couple of years ago to go to Texas A&M, Clark Lee has stepped in and run this defense really effectively. I, it's, it's not – flawless and it's not you know absolute wizardry but it's really really solid they don't have a lot of moments of just total lapses like they play up to their relative talent level i think in, in almost any game that they ever step out there at yeah it's it's been but don't break on defense um i think clark lee is quickly becoming one of the better defensive coordinators in college football i mean he's already there but i think he's starting to get recognition for it which is great yeah, Notre Dame's defense has a lot of seniority returning. And then even if you look at like some of the guys who, you know, aren't upperclassmen and the one that comes to mind is Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton played in all 13 games a year ago. Um, he's going to be one of Notre Dame's starting safeties this year. Uh, he didn't start a ton last year, but he was in the rotation a good bit. 
Um, so he's a guy who Notre Dame fans already know about, know that he's already a very good player. And now he's just going to have a more prominent role as a true sophomore. So, yeah, like Notre Dame's just very, uh, they're deep at every position defensively. Um, a lot of seniority. Dalen Hayes highlights the defensive line. Myron Tagavailoa Amosa at defensive tackle, really good player. Um, Jordan Gemmark Heath's a senior. He's back. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa has developed into a really nice player, played a ton as a retro sophomore a year ago. So Notre Dame's got depth. Um, they have talent. The, the frontline talent on the defense is, again, very, very good. The strength of Notre Dame's team will be at the defense um, because offensively, you got to figure out how to make the running game a little bit better than it was last year. And you have questions at receiver um, just from a pro- the proven talent moving on. But you don't have a lot of those questions defensively. Most of the starters return. Um, if if the starter doesn't return, you have a guy stepping in with rotational playing time. Um, Kyle Hamilton is that guy. So th- there's ways that Notre Dame's defense has kind of adapted and they've prepared for kind of what they need to face this year, just given who they've lost on that side of the football. But it's a lot of seniority. It's a lot of talent. It's a lot of guys who have played a lot of snaps together. So Notre Dame's defense should be very good. It should anchor the roster. And it's funny, too, that you mentioned you talk about how there is a lot of depth there at, at every level, and, and there is. And I think one of the testaments to that is the fact that, again, we're talking about the level of seniority that this team has. It's That's kind of forgetting to mention that there's a number of guys that they got to replace off of last year's defense. Yeah. Like there, there, there were a number of seniors on last year's team that were really key defensive pieces that have to be replaced. And yet they still have a ton of depth there in place. So that's that side of the ball has been recruited extremely well. And and again, they're executing really well, coached really well. A lot of, a lot of good things to be able to say about this, this unit. They've been really good year over year for Notre Dame in the last few years. Yeah. Defensively, they, they've started to recruit a lot better. And I think honestly, the, the catalyst of that um, was the lackluster effort against Clemson a couple of years ago um, in the playoff. And it wasn't as much that Notre Dame's top end talent couldn't compete with a team like Clemson on a national stage in the playoff. It was more of, okay, our depth can't compete with Clemson. How do we fix that? And I think Notre Dame, what you're seeing now, a couple of years removed from that is, you know, some of that recruiting starting to come to fruition where Notre Dame's like, look, we got to, we got to make some changes um, on both sides of the football. We got to find a way to have more elite talent, more top tier talent um, prepared to play. It can't just be the the first 11 guys are ready and all the backups are freshmen or, or guys who are mid tier three stars. No, it, it can't be that anymore. Not when we're playing Clemson, not when we're playing you know, a, a really good Oklahoma team like they've played in the past um, in the regular season. It can't, you can no longer just rely on your starters. It needs to be depth guys who can step in, t- few snaps here and there defensively, rotate in on the defensive line, rotate in the secondary if you get nicked up and have an injury. Like, you got to find a way to make sure that you're prepared at somewhere more than your first level from an elite talent standpoint, which is where Notre Dame was failing. Um, it's clearly where they failed against Alabama um, in, in 2012 in that national championship game. It's obviously improved a ton since then. Um, after the four and eight season, Notre Dame makes an appearance in the playoff. It doesn't go the way a lot of fans want it to again um, on the national stage, but Notre Dame has continued to recruit well especially on the defensive side of the football. I think for Notre Dame to get to where they want to go and kind of take that next step and break into elite echelon, they need to continue to recruit as such. So it's clear at this point, I mean, the biggest question that we have about this Notre Dame team is really kind of the chemistry and the meshing of the skill talent on offense. Like that's, you know, again, have to replace your leading rusher, replace your three leading receivers. Like that's, that's going to be the source of the big questions that we have about Notre Dame. Now, we take that, Mike, and we look at this year's schedule, and it's again, it's kind of interesting that we're talking about Notre Dame playing a 10-game ACC schedule. That's a, a new one, but all in all, I mean, this this doesn't set up super poorly for them. It, it starts out really easily. You know, they're they're going to start out at home against Duke. And by the way, before we get into all that, I'll, I will say I think it's really interesting. One of the basic, I guess, heuristics you'll say that was used in all this kind of redoing of the ACC schedule is all of the teams 
in the ACC that were previously scheduled to play Notre Dame still play Notre Dame. So they added a couple of teams, but they didn't really subtract anybody from an ACC standpoint. So something just to kind of keep in mind or to be aware of, I guess, as you wonder how the schedule came to be. Um, so again, start at home against Duke, and then you get USF at home, and then you go to Wake Forest by week, home against Florida State. I think that whole stretch, I, hard to imagine you're anything but 4-0 unless Florida State is, you know, at running at peak performance a month into the season. Right, which is probably pretty hard to expect given first-year coach situation. A lot of questions on the offensive line, some questions on defense. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a, it's fairly far-fetched. From there is where I think it really ramps up. I mean, your next four games, home against Louisville, at Pitt, at Georgia Tech, home against Clemson. And so the Georgia Tech game, I'm I'm, I'm not even considering that a threat, really, um, for, for this year. But home against Louisville, at Pitt, home against Clemson. I tend to think I feel like personally, I feel like that's like a one and two stretch. And I think the game in particular, I I don't think that they beat Clemson even in South Bend, but the other game is I don't, I don't feel good about them coming off the Louisville game and then going to Pittsburgh and beating Pitt at Heinz field. I think that that is a bad matchup for Notre Dame. It's probably a low scoring slug fest of a game. Um, But I just, at this point, I still, that's the kind of game and the kind of defense that I feel like that's going to bog down Notre Dame's offense pretty badly. It's not a good matchup. It's in Heinz field, which has a way of bogging anybody and everybody down. <laughs> um, so I, I don't like that matchup. I, I, I tend to think Notre Dame might lose that game. I think so. Yeah. The first three, you know, three and O oh, you have the bye week. Then I agree with you. I mean, these are the uh, this is the toughest stretch on the schedule. And a lot of people point to that. Oh, my God, they got North Carolina on the road Friday, November 27th. And it's like, oh, man, that's going to be a really tough game towards the end of the schedule. But Notre Dame is coming off of a bye week before that. They have mm-hmm. 13 days. They have 13 days to prepare there. Um, I guess 12 because it's Friday night, 12 full days to prepare for that um, since it's a Friday night game. Um, but Notre Dame's toughest stretch, without a doubt, is what they have to deal with in October. Um, mm-hmm. Florida State, Louisville, at Pitt, at Georgia Tech, home against Clemson. And I agree, like Notre Dame's not going to lose to Georgia Tech, but they got Florida State, Louisville, at Pitt. We don't know what Florida State's going to be. Notre Dame should be favored there pretty significantly, unless Florida State just looks really good in September. But Louisville's going to be a tough game. You'll remember that Louisville's first game under Scott Satterfield, last season's opener, Louisville was actually leading that game against Notre Dame. Um, at Louisville, um, it was obviously a, a road game for Notre Dame. They now get that game at home coming back around. But Louisville's going to be better. I mean, they're going to be a really good team under Scott Satterfield. They uglied it up in the first half with Notre Dame a year ago. Then talent won out, and, and Notre Dame uh, pulled away in the second half. But that's not going to be an easy game. And I tend to agree with you at Pitt. I think Notre Dame beats Pittsburgh. But I think that's a game that could give Notre Dame a lot of trouble, right? Low-scoring game. You'll remember back in 2012, Notre Dame played at Pittsburgh. Um, a few missed field goals kept Notre Dame from losing that game and losing their undefeated season. Um, probably, uh, most definitely would have cost them a national championship game appearance against Alabama. Like Pittsburgh has a way of uglying up games against Notre Dame. They're going to have an outstanding defense. One of the best defenses in the ACC going against a Notre Dame offense. That's going to lack explosiveness potentially. Um, hopefully they have some of that figured out by mid October, but they might not. And if they don't, that is a game that could give them a lot of trouble. They can't put as many points up on the board. Pittsburgh's defense is really good. Pittsburgh's offense has more continuity at this point. Whether or not it's better is a different conversation, but it has more continuity at this point than Notre Dame's does. I could see Notre Dame having trouble in that game. I think Notre Dame ultimately wins, but that could be a really tough matchup. And then Clemson at at home, November 7th, like Clemson's probably going to be a seven to 10 point favorite there. Um, maybe, maybe more depending on how Notre Dame kind of looks throughout that stretch in October. Um, but that's, that's not a winnable game for Notre Dame. I don't think, um, just given the lack of explosive, uh, explosive talent on offense, specifically at the skill position, um, like wide receivers, pass catchers, like 
Clemson shouldn't have any trouble dealing with what Notre Dame has out wide. And if that's the case, it's going to be really tough for Ian Book and the Irish to move the ball, much like it was a couple of years ago uh, in the in the bowl game in the playoff. And the one thing I will mention, Mike, is I realize I said that I just don't have I don't feel good at all considering Georgia Tech like that is a, a possibly losable game for Notre Dame. But I will say of this entire schedule and the way that it's all structured. If you want to look for a letdown, look ahead sandwich kind of game, Georgia Tech's coming, it. Coming off that road trip to Pittsburgh that might get real uglied up and having previously played Louisville, that that could be a challenge. Then going on the road to a game in Bobby Dodd Stadium that you pretty much know you should win the week before you're going to play Clemson for what feels like all the marbles. You want to talk about a letdown, look ahead kind of situation. That's it. That, yep. That's a game that if you are just completely out of sorts, like Georgia Tech could beat you. You, you need to be at least somewhat composed and, and mentally there for it. That's all I'm saying. Show up. Show up a little bit. Just be there. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. And then, as, as you mentioned, I mean, you, you finish out at Boston College by week at North Carolina the day after Thanksgiving and then home against Syracuse. Um, that that North Carolina game and, and – Personally, especially that happening that late in the season, I look at that as that's a game. I'm going to call it right now, Mike. That's going to be a game to send somebody to the ACC championship game. It is. Yep. I think that's it is. your that's a huge game. championship game, basically. Yeah, agree. Agree. Um, because I look Notre Dame. So I want to talk about Boston College for like five seconds. Notre Dame's got history of Boston College that doesn't favor them particularly well always um first year head coach former Notre Dame quarterback Phil Jerkovic it, it would be like a match a match made in heaven for a bad situation for Notre Dame just given what they've dealt with historically Notre Dame is about two or three touchdowns better than Boston College so mm-hmm. they should win that game um but yeah the bye week before going on the road to North Carolina I agree the North Carolina game is going to decide who goes to the ACC championship to play Clemson um Notre Dame Look, if they're able to get like, let's let's say they go through this stretch, because I I don't think it's totally out of the ordinary or, or totally out of the realm of possibility, right, that they go eight and one before playing North Carolina. That means that they successfully navigated Louisville and Pittsburgh and they lost the game to Clemson and everybody's expecting them to lose. And then they have a bye week and they play North Carolina on the road. That is going to be one of the biggest games of the year in college football, potentially. North Carolina could have a very strong team, especially given how soft their schedule is playing against Notre Dame. North Carolina, this could be, this is without a doubt North Carolina's toughest test on their regular season schedule. They didn't mm-hmm. draw Clemson. Um, th- their toughest game really was like Virginia Tech or Florida State, maybe uh, prior to this uh, Notre Dame game. So this is the toughest game on North Carolina's schedule. They get it essentially two, maybe three weeks before um, whatever, whenever they decide to play the ACC championship this year, they get two to three weeks before the conference championship game. They got to play Notre Dame at home against a really good fighting Irish game. And Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. This is a situation where the winner is going to go to the ACC championship to play Clemson. And if it's going to be Notre Dame, if they beat North Carolina, they're probably going to get Clemson. Not probably. They would get Clemson in the rematch. Mm hmm. I, it, and Syracuse and Syracuse. Notre no Dame's going to beat Syracuse. Right, yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll walk through Syracuse at home. Um, yeah, this is interesting because, as you mentioned, I mean, there are a couple teams on here that just on paper Notre Dame should should not really have a lot of a problem with, but historically they have for relatively inexplicable reasons. So, I, you know, things could happen. There could be could be landmines here, but, you know, time will tell. Record-wise, Mike, I'm going to go nine and two with Notre Dame. Um, I, I'm going to say that they lose to Clemson, and that's a you know relatively easy statement to make. But I, I, I personally, my pick, I'm sticking with it. I, I'm taking North Carolina to beat them in that game later in the year. And, and I'll throw this out there too. I feel like I'm almost being a little bit optimistic. I could almost see this at eight three if if they were to split that Louisville and at Pitt you know, back to back. I don't think that's out of the question at all. And I think we were saying before that Louisville was something like four to one to win that game outright. 
I'll take four to one on Louisville for sure. With the way that they looked last year yeah. in game and Great. what we've learned about them since then, like Notre Dame's a better team and they should win that game, especially at home. But I'm not sleeping on Louisville, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I'm gonna go nine and two as well. Um I think it, <laughs> the two games that they lose is going to really dictate whether or not they're in that ACC championship game. It depends on what two games they are or what, what other game do you lose outside of Clemson? Mm-hmm. Are you going to lose to Pittsburgh and beat North Carolina? Because if you do that, you very well might be in the ACC championship game still. So mm-hmm. it depends on what two games they end up losing. What is the loss outside of Clemson? That's mm-hmm. the big question. And I'm with you. I could see this being three and then I think at absolute worst, Joey, four losses. If you find a way to lose both Louisville and Pittsburgh, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. Um, and that would be kind of the bottoming out rebuild year. That would be really tough for Brian Kelly to swallow, given what he's got coming back on defense and what he's got coming back on the offensive line with a senior quarterback, Ian Book. That would be a very tough pill to swallow. Um, so I don't think that happens. I could see two. Lo- I I could easily see two losses though. Three, I think, is definitely in play. I think f- four losses would be the absolute floor for this team. They're going to be very good. And I feel like if it's four losses, or heaven forbid, more, you're talking about like an injury to Ian Book or something right. that you know. Now you're talking about a quarterback that you have no confidence in, and I mean, all sorts of things could happen. You know, um, so so barring anything, you know crazy happening which this is 2020 mike that everything has been going according to plan the whole time um so barring barring anything you know unusual happening you're not going to see that happen but it's it's not completely off the table i mean and 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 especially i mean if if you start you know and you lose a couple games louisville at Pitt, and then clemson you know you've lost three out of four that's the kind of thing where you could see again, this is, this team is made up of college kids. Like something could kind of start to spiral a little bit and they lose focus. And, and these things have happened before is all I'm saying. Like, you know, it's not it off the table, you know? So, yeah. um, shout out Miami for that. But anyways, um, so we both have them at nine and two. You've also got North Carolina at nine and two. And that's significant because it just, as we've said, it depends on who wins that game. Basically they'll be tied in the standings. Um, so whoever wins that game now has the tiebreaker to go to Charlotte uh, to play for the ACC yep. championship game. Um, so I, I think Notre Dame is very much a very serious contender and a lot of reason probably to say that they would be the favorite um, to, to take that spot and to have a better record. But, Again, knowing kind of what the schedule for each of them is, and that Notre Dame has a couple more landmines there than than Notre Dame, than North Carolina does, I'm going to stick with UNC, but completely see how Notre Dame would be the pick. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Notre Dame right now is a better team than North Carolina, but I don't think it's by a whole lot. Um, Notre Dame's got more experience. Um, the problem that <laughs> Notre Dame has is that their schedule's a lot tougher. North Carolina's got an easier path, but the benefit of Notre Dame for, to Notre Dame is that if they do navigate a pretty tough schedule, they do get a chance to prove it against North Carolina towards the end of the year when it's really going to matter. Um, mm-hmm. So if Notre Dame takes care of business, even if they lose to Clemson, you know, you take care of business in the other games, you navigate that Louisville Pittsburgh stretch um, in October and you find a way to get to that North Carolina game with no losses or one, if, if it's no losses, Notre Dame might be the, top ranked team in the country except would have meant they beat Clemson but even with one loss they're probably still a top 10 team and you're going to be playing against what we expect to be a very good North Carolina team decide who goes to conference championship Mike that's all I got in Notre Dame anything else I think we're good that's it we're done we we did it we did we at at the gun we, we made it just barely but team previews are done how about that on to week one. Very quickly on to week one. Yeah, we got to come back here in like, yeah. like an hour or two and do week one. But yeah, it's actually quite late at night. So let's let's wait until, you know, tomorrow or something. Yeah, I think that'd be better for both of us. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, 
anyways, yeah, so that that's that's our team preview series. We're probably going to do a at least a brief look back. So as most will remember, we did a a little bit of a preseason previews conference preview. Um, kind of taking some inventory before we did all these individual team previews. And I think we, we kind of agree that it's at least a worthwhile exercise to revisit that now that we've gone through this whole series. Um, okay. So we'll do that in some form or fashion prior to previewing week one, but otherwise season's previewed set, table's been set and, and we're ready to go here, Mike, for week one action starting Thursday night of this week. Miami's playing UAB in a non-conference game. What could go wrong there, Joey? What could possibly go wrong? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, it's a G5 team. That's that's an easy win for Miami, right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, Miami always does such a great job at beating teams like FIU and the like. Louisiana Tech. It, well, now we Duke, think about it. Georgia streak. Tech. Yeah, Miami on a losing streak has something to prove, but we get to see Derek King and the Lashley offense, so I'm sure it'll be all fixed. Yeah, and that offensive line's superb. <laughs> I don't think you know what that word means, Mike. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. It's superbly terrible. It's something. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. Let's come back and preview week one. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Much better than last time. Uh, you can yes. find us on Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly on Anchor. I appreciate those who have. And Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do, please do. Appreciate those who have um, really a lot of good reviews coming in lately. So thank you to those who are making it making it a point to do that. It helps us out immensely. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're all set man on to week one on to week one finally at long last we, we weren't sure if it was going to happen but i'll be damned it is we're here we're, we're still here still, still here, here. Still here. all that yep so keep it tuned here we're going to talk actual football games here very very shortly yep and we'll talk then well until then for mr mike mcdaniel i am joey weaver thank you guys so much for listening to our entire team preview series until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.